0: So, as you can see, that was from our Ecuador trip uh, last year. Uh, this is, I'm Jake, this is Christa. I don't know if, I don't know, probably most of you know us, but not all. Uh, we're like the uh, missions coordinators here at One Love. Um, we have the privilege of having John and Karen with us uh, this morning. Uh, and uh, we were able to stay with them when we were down there, and uh, they've been a huge uh, impact in my life, mentors, in all different ways, and uh, they're pretty awesome. So, um, without further ado, John and Karen, if you like, well, if you're able to. Do you need a minute? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Our first time here to be with the church, but we've been with a lot of you many times. And my condolences to the church, but you know, it's <laughs> the way it goes. I think I'm going to do that video later because it doesn't really fit right now. Okay, all right. Uh, Karen and I have been—we're missionaries in Ecuador. We've been there for 20 years. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, that was a view out of our. Uh, front porch for a long time, and then we moved down to a valley where you can't see anything. But anyway, (laughs) um, we went there. Um, Before that, I had pastored, we had pastored for 18 years in the States, in Texas, uh, Virginia, and Ohio, three different churches. And um, uh, then the Lord spoke to our hearts in 1997, well, actually, it began in 1995. And in 1997, we left and became missionaries with the Church of God in Ecuador, Um, We were there for 20 years, like I said. And during that time, um, we fell in love with the people and we became them. (laughs) And they became part of us, which was really bad for them, but it happened anyway. (laughs) Um, We went with seven churches um, when we got there, seven congregations with buildings. And when we left, not because of us, but because of us working together, we have 17 churches with buildings and five house churches. And so the Lord had really... has really blessed us in that time. Um, During our time in Ecuador, which, um, go ahead and show the next one if you would. Yeah, these are some of our kids. Um, We had the privilege of starting a work among an indigenous area called the Cayambe Indians, and uh, we now have uh, two congregations among the Cayambes. And uh, the one is now our, I mean, we were there from the first time we met together with the man in his house, and now that church is running around 2, 250, and it's our strongest congregation, and they're on their own, they're building a new sanctuary, which is huge. And, um, you know, we really praise the Lord for that, because when we first went up there, we didn't even, you know, know what was going to happen. And another thing about that area was, they, or still is, they speak Quichua, which they don't speak Spanish. So when I go, I preach in Spanish, or I would preach in Spanish, and we would talk in Spanish and do the work in Spanish, but... Um, Most of the men and children could understand, but sometimes the women didn't. And so that'll kind of figure in in a minute, too. Okay, go to the next one and see. Yeah. Then what happened was, um, during that time, we had a group that was coming to Ecuador, and they're based out of Franklin, Ohio, down here, called Caring Partners International, and they bring medical teams all over. They take medical teams all over the world, and they would come to Ecuador, Every year that we were there, if we were home on furlough, they didn't, they didn't go that year, but um, they were there all the time. And this was the last trip that we had with them in Ecuador. And that trip was kind of uh, pivotal for us. Um, we had been—we went to an area of the jungle called uh, uh, Palora. And it's a little town where they grow tea, and it's very hot and humid there. And it wasn't even a Church of God congregation we were working in because one of our doctors that helped us there, the girl in the blue that's standing next to the girl in red, Eunice, her dad's a Nazarene pastor, and so we were at her father's church doing a clinic. And the leaders of the clinic were talking to Karen, and they said, you know, our ministry is growing. And the two of them, the the CEO and his wife, they end up taking... um, the trips hosting, I mean, they were the leaders of the trips that went out, and they said, we really need somebody that will help lead the trips. And they said, uh, you know, when you and John, you, they said, you do it really good, and we, you have a heart for this, and you always want us to come back, and our clinics are always really good here. And they said, when you get ready to, um, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to have this closer. I'm driving him crazy back there. <laughs> said, when he's going, okay. When you get, uh, you know, you guys are close to retirement, or maybe after you retire, would you consider working with us? And uh, he was actually talking to Adams, his name was talking to Karen about that. And um, by the end of that day, she came and started talking to me, and we instantly knew that this was where the next part of our life was going. Um, We had felt for a couple of years that um, the work in Ecuador, our part in that was getting completed. Uh, we saw a whole generation come up. Um, the church began in Ecuador in 1986. We went there in 97. And then we left in 2017. And so 20, in that 20 years, we saw almost two generations come into their own in, in the church. And they need to stand on their own. And they were depending too much on us. And um, it was just time. But we didn't know what God was going to do with us. And the thought of coming back here and just retiring, because I'm not old enough to retire, I know I look very young for my age, but um, the thought of coming back and just doing that and not doing anything or being completely out of missions was really beginning to weigh on us really heavy. I believe with my whole heart that this thing we're in in Christ, you can't retire from, you can't leave, you know, it's a way of life, it's who we are as Christians, And we don't get to the point to where it ends. You know, if you can't do what you've been doing, then look for what you can do. Let God lead you into that area. And right at this point, I'd like to share a scripture with you. Never like to come and not do that. Um, So if you have your Bibles, I'm in the book of Acts. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. You know, between you and God. Yeah. Okay. Book of Acts chapter 8 beginning with verse 25 through 32. Just a short little passage, but I need to read it all. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go forth to the road of Damascus that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is called the Desert Road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. That's right, he did. Okay. (laughs) And as he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading from the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord said to Philip, Go up and join his chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah the prophet. And he said... Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Well, you may not realize this, but he went back, took the gospel, took the Christ that he had found that day after he was baptized, went back to Ethiopia and started what would become one of the first earliest areas where the church actually began. Ethiopia, we, none of the apostles actually went there. Some think that one did later. But that church basically all grew up because of what happened to the conversion of this one man. And the oldest religious buildings in Ethiopia now are Christian churches that were carved out of rock. And you can look that up on the internet. Not now. You could do it later and, um, and see all about that. But I could just think of what Philip was going through. He's going like, okay, you know, God, we're called to, to go with the world. We've just been out on this mission. We're coming back. Everybody's going to go back. They're going to, you know, do this. And God says, no, Philip, you go here. Why do I need to go there? That's a desert road. That's a not very heavily traveled road. What am I going to find on that road? You know, that's not where I plan to go. That's not where I really think would be the best use of my time. But Philip had learned that we all must learn when God tells you to do something, you do it. You have to do it. You can't argue with God. When you argue with God, you just get in trouble. And you're not happy. God's not happy. You're not happy. And your family's not happy. Nothing works out right. You can run from him, but you can't hide. What you do is you start hardening your heart. You start turning away and turning it off to where it gets easier to live with the decisions you've made. But then when a crisis hits, when something comes along later, you wonder what in the world happened to your faith and where are you? And that's because God never left you. You left him one step at a time along the way. So, you know, when I was 15 years old and found the Lord, I was trying to commit suicide. Aunt called me on the phone, didn't know what I was doing, and said, I've been praying for you. Would you... uh, Come to a youth revival we're having, and there's a long story there what I'm not going to get into, but I went the next day, listened, heard the gospel for the first time as a 15-year-old in this country. Um, saw it, didn't understand it, went back the next, that was on Saturday night, went back the next day, and I gave my heart to the Lord. And I made a decision early on, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. You gave me a life back that I didn't have. You gave me a future that I didn't have. So whatever you want, I'll do. And that that started out with singing in the youth choir, which I hated because I hated to be in front of people. I couldn't stand it. I'd be in school. I I failed speech because I could not stand in front of people. And it it was just terrible. And so God said, do that. And he touched my heart and he said, do that. And I said, I don't want to do that. And he goes, well, you know, it's not this conversation like that, but it's his feelings. And I go, my God, I don't want to do that. And the Holy Spirit says, you need to do that. So I did it, and I thought, you're off my back now, I'm okay. And then he goes, I want you to preach. And I go, I don't want to do that. <laughs> then he did it, and I was planning to be an architect, and I was good, and I, my grandfather was a contractor, and I thought, this is all going to work out fine. This is what my life is. This is what I love to do. And God said, no, I want you to be a pastor. I want you to quit the University of Miami, and I want you to go to Gulf Coast Bible College in, in Houston, Texas. I didn't want to do that, but you have to. And I met my wife. And had I not been there, I'd be married to an ugly wife. I just know that. Yeah. I would be. Um, her family traveled and sang. She had this long, flowing, blonde hair. And I'd look at her and go, like, boy, you know, never She would she look at me. And then when I finally um, asked her, well, we could, she was in family singing. I was in a quartet singing. So we kind of were in the music business together. No, we weren't. And, um... um just loved her, drove to college with her sister, and um, never really met. I met her, I guess, at their wedding, at at her sister's wedding that the quartet I was in sang, and then later on she came to hear our quartet sing, and I found myself falling for this girl that I didn't even know, had never really talked too much or anything, so I asked to take her home after a concert one night that we were singing in, and I pulled into a gas station. I knew she was engaged to another guy that was a Marine, And so I looked at her and I said, you know, I think I'm falling in love with you and I don't need to see you anymore. If you don't feel the same way about me, I'll take you home. And if if you don't want to see me, I'll never see you again. And she goes, what are you saying? And I said, I want you to marry me. We had never really been on a date. (laughs) And she said, yes. And I helped her write the letter to him who he threatened to kill me, but that's another story. (laughs) Yeah, it is. So anyway... Um, yeah and she loved missions and I, I was pastoring and I thought you know every pastor needs a little wife that does the missions the women's missionary society then you know keeps it going and she kept saying John you need to go you need to go you need to go and finally we were pastoring at Millville Avenue Church in Hamilton Ohio and lady in the church Romilly Coaseer took trips and I finally broke down and went on a trip to Guatemala and lost my heart to the world And then came the struggle of being a pastor, and that was what I did, and that was what I knew. Forty years old, God calling me to go to another country where I didn't speak the language and to do that. And it was very difficult because I'm dyslexic, and I can't spell in English, but you know what? I can spell in Spanish. (laughs) I have no trouble spelling in Spanish, just English. And it never got better, but um, I still reverse numbers and all of that, but God... Gave us the ability to speak the language and gave us a ministry there. But when God started this with this group this year, um, the whole rest of the time we were together with them was scary because, God, I'm 60 years old. I can't start over again. I can't do something. And they said, what you'll be doing is you'll be going to mission stations all over Latin America, probably Africa, maybe Asia, taking medical groups. You'll be leading them. And Karen often says, we knew what we were doing there. We don't know what we're doing now. We don't know what this is all going to be. But God said, do it, and we'll do it. Go ahead and show the next one. Um, that was Karen at, at that clinic and seeing a patient translating. We were translators. I worked in the pharmacy. I'm not a pharmacist, but I know one. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I dispensed the medicine and would translate for them. Okay, go to the next one. Um, and these are two of my favorite people, um, Scott and Marcia, who are psych nurses. That's why we get along so well. Um, <laughs> They said we just feel an affinity with you, and I said, "Well, you're psych nurses, that's why." And uh, but they were the pharmacists on that trip, and and um, so anyway, that's what we're going to be doing now. Go to the next slide. Now I'm going to let Karen share a little bit, and then I'll finish up.
1: John and I, John and I were um, would go on missions trips. To Ecuador, we had been there for five years before we went there as missionaries, and this is um, our son Mike at one of the uh, one of the trips. That's me. Is that you? Yeah, that's me. Sorry, a few years ago. (laughs) I looked better back then. With a little boy that we really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to. This is one of the few pictures we have of him in those five years that we went. He would always run and hide. There are always kids when you go on a work site who are hanging on your legs and, you know, wanting to give you kisses and wanting to give you hugs. This one would go and hide most of the time. If you go on to the next picture. (laughs) That little boy was in the Children of Promise program, and I would always ask the kids, what do you think God wants you to be when you grow up? If you don't know about Children of Promise, uh, if you want me to get my passion, that's it. Um, It is the Church of God sponsorship program for children around the world, poor children, to help them go to school. This little boy, his dad was an alcoholic. Mom had a third-grade education. And um, every time I would talk to a child in the country, when I got there, we had eight kids in the program. And I'd say, what's God want to do with your life? What's he want you to be? Every child would stare at their feet, and I'd get down on my knees in front of them where I could see their eyes, and I'd say, no, you are God's child. What does God want to do with you? Nobody would ever answer me until one day that little boy looked at me and said, God's called me to be a doctor. I cried all the way home in the car. I said, now I've got an answer. What do I do with it? God worked miracle after miracle after miracle. In this young man's life, he is a wonderful preacher, has a heart of gold. And we were out at the church one day, and um, he has always got a wonderful smile. His name is Danny. He doesn't know how to walk. He bounces. And um, John, I was translating for a group and taking care of that. And John saw him, and God said, look at Danny. And he did, and Danny wasn't smiling. So John went over and said, Danny, what's going on? How are you? And he said, I'm fine. Everything's okay. And uh, they talked for just a second, and John started to walk off, and God said, not yet. So John went back and found out Danny's dad hates the God he sees in Danny. So he had kicked him out of the house. Danny was in high school. He had kicked him out of the house, and Danny was living in the open roof of a neighbor's, neighbor's house because they didn't have the room to take him inside. And it was the start of the rainy season. So Danny came home with us. Little did I know, I have two children, one in my body, and I have one born in my heart. And that is our son. That's our Danny. He is a doctor. This is him. He was the um, director of a hospital down in the jungle in Ecuador. And this is Danny with a Shuar chief. He had just treated the Shuar chief's daughter, and so they wanted he wanted to honor Danny. Um, and that's the way the man dresses all the time, with the headdress and everything, because he is the chief. If you want to go on to the next picture, this is Danny um, with one of the pastors from here in, that was here in Ohio, Mitchell Birch, um, treating children. Danny started telling me that God had called him to be a doctor. He graduated as the top two student in his college. Then he went to university in Ecuador, and Ecuador is a very much a class system. He was not even called by his name for the first two years he was in college. He was called nothing but poor boy. Although he scored so high on the entrance exam, he skipped pre-med and went straight to med school. Even the teachers would just call him poor boy and tell him after class, I will destroy you. You do not belong with us. And Danny would come back to the house and he'd say, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? And I'd say, what's God saying? And he said, God's called me to be a doctor. I want to be a missionary doctor. And I'd say, then you go back tomorrow, and I'll be your cheerleader, John will be your cheerleader, and God will be on your side, and it'll be okay. Danny graduated as the top student in the university. And he is now, um, he came to the US. He has his US license to practice as a doctor here. He is in Ecuador working in the cancer clinic there. And if you all would pray with us, he really wants to come back to the U.S., get his specialty because of our government. I don't have time to go into all of that, but our communist government or socialist government has closed down all postgrads for for doctors. He wants to get back here and get his um, degree as a pediatrician so that he can go back and help his people. But when God was calling us to go into this new ministry, How could I have known 20 years ago that the little boy's prayer to be a missionary doctor, I get to be a part of that. I get to go where he and see him as God reveals and opens up his splendor to Danny. And I praise God for that. Did I want to leave Ecuador, those kids, and especially that one? They are my heart, and I miss them every single day. But I'm excited to see what God will be doing as he, as he moves us forward. If you go to the next picture, that's our Danny. That's our heart. That's why God called us to Ecuador. And you all were a part of that. You helped us in that ministry there, and I thank you so very much for that. If any of you are sponsors of Children of Promise, I thank you. I have seen how God has taken that, not just Danny, but we have children that never had hope that are now electricians and nurses, and we have teachers. God has used that to bless them, and he's used you to bless them and to bless us, and I thank you so very much for being a part of that.
0: I think I can save the last three. Could you show the video now? would be fine they're going to hate me back there but Anthony Snyder I'm uh, from Cincinnati Ohio Uh, pretty much only Cincinnati I've never been out of the United States um, but right now I'm standing in front of a giant rainforest tree I'm at a point in my life where um, I I'm looking for God's direction um, for me right now I have a degree in uh, pre-medicine but right now I'm, I'm in between that in med school. I've seen God work through people that don't have anything and um, I've seen what I have and take for granted being just so uh, just being not important um, in comparison to you know our life and uh, and loving others and making sure that others know about Jesus. Hello my name is Dieter Marroquin I am Guatemalan. I've been working with caring partners for maybe eight years. I am not a medical
1: person but I translate for the doctors and that's the way I can help and I can get involved. It's just been amazing how Americans and Guatemalans can come together and serve and love people. One of the ladies once she told us that in her community nothing ever happened and so they were every year just waiting for
0: us to come to see something different happen and it's such a joy being able to serve the Lord. and and just serve people and love them. My name's Katie Reuter. I'm an RN, recently graduated. The people that CPI attracts are some of the most talented people I've ever met. They can make miracles happen with nothing. It was through those experiences
1: with doctors and nurses that allowed me to sit by them and watch them and let them teach me.
0: My name is Rick Lally, and I'm a Caring Partners International board member, and I'd like to share a little bit about my story of how I became involved with Caring Partners International. Um, Several years ago, I was one of those guys that would sit in church in the pews and uh, sort of ignore everything that the pastor was talking about in terms of mission work and going on missions. And I don't know, one day, I just had a turn apart. My family was traveling on a mission trip, and I decided to go. I decided to figure out what this was all about. But I gotta tell you, one trip, one step, one step of faith has completely changed my approach to missions.
1: Just the the impact they've had in so many different areas. I believe that even if one person had made that decision, even even if
0: one person had seen that their life was full of darkness and there was this hope of light that they could go to work, I believe it could have been worth it. I believe the whole week would have been worth it for just that one person. Because according to the Bible, the whole
1: of heaven rejoices just when one person comes to Christ. And this is why we should do the same.
0: well you say if you're a missionary and stuff then why do you want to go help doctors um, this last year or two years ago the last time we had a clinic in Ecuador we saw a total of 1500 and 36 patients, and then how many got, say, 378 people made decisions for Christ during those clinics. People come to get the medical help, and usually when you go, and all the clinics are always held in in a local church, and it's always using the local church people as the workers in it that help register people and go through. And then doctors and nurses and paramedics will see patients in patient rooms, and then they'll... If it's something really, we always have at least one doctor Sometimes they like to have two, so that if, you're, if it's something needs to be prescribed a medicine that a nurse or something can't handle, then they can talk, get the doctor to sign off on it. And then um, they see the doctors, and then they, if they have eye problems. There's a lot of times eye clinics and stuff like that. We take glasses. And then the last thing they go is the Clinic of the Soul which every person that comes into the clinic has to go to the clinic of the soul where they are presented with the gospel. And um, it's been amazing. I'll show the next picture now if you would. Um, well, actually, there was a clinic of the soul, and this little guy, I can't even remember what was wrong, but um, we're in the pharmacy, and the mother has already they have accepted Christ, and then they come in to get the medicine, but then they asked if we would pray for him. And they said, you know, you're Christians, and, and now I'm a new Christian, and what does that mean? So we were explaining healing to him, And then, you know, they were really glad to get medicine for him, but she wanted him to be anointed and prayed for. And these were people that had not heard the gospel before. If you go to the next picture, that's one of our pastors, um, Brother Jorge, that those of you that have been down there, you've worked at that church. And that's in um, the Zabala Church. He was there uh, as one of the pastors, several neighboring pastors would come together. And um, he is presenting the gospel to this lady for the first time. And um, she accepted the Lord. But look at her face, you know, look at her listening to what he's saying and understand that as she's an older woman, for the first time in her life, she has been presented with the gospel. Um... Just stop there for a minute. I wish I had a picture of Maria, but in our mountain church with the uh, Indians, Maria was uh, brought in one day. Um, We were having clinic up there. It was was about 10 years ago now. And they brought her in a wheelbarrow because she couldn't walk. She was in her mid-60s, looked a lot older because up there with the wind and the sun at the high altitude and you're on the equator, your, your skin just turns to leather when you get older. And um, anyway, she uh, was brought in, and uh, I was in the pharmacy, and they came and they said, we need to have special prayer for this lady. So we go in, and Doc Jeff, he's an emergency room doctor in Michigan, and uh, he was on that trip, and he, he was just all choked up, and you never see Jeff Chapman choked up. And he goes, I can't do anything for this lady. And he showed us, and her thigh here, she had bone cancer. And, of course, it goes untreated. She'd never been to a doctor, never been off that mountain, I guess, in her life. And it had swelled, and it had burst open, and her leg broke from the bone cancer. And you could see clear down to where the two pieces of the leg were. And the smell of cancer is horrible and, uh, when, it, when it's left untreated like that. And so it was just a big hole with infection. And he said, there's nothing we can do for her. He said, um, there's no medicine we can give her. And he said, if you took her to a hospital, they would cut her leg off. And he said, maybe they could save her. But he said, as far as this is gone, he said, I would say within um, two or three weeks, she'll be dead. And so um, that's before she went to the Clinic of the Soul. So they go ahead and they said, take her to the Clinic of the Soul, her and her husband and her son. The son gets the wheelbarrow. She can't, can't get out of the wheelbarrow. And uh, they wheel her back and uh, can't get her up on the stage where we had the clinic of the soul. So they wheeled her over to a corner and Doc Jeff came and started an IV. He said, I'll give her an IV to build her back up a little bit, give her a little strength. But he said, that's all we can do. We're just putting a patch on something that's going to happen. And then, um, we, uh, got together, we anointed and we prayed for her. and. Um, She accepted the Lord before we prayed. She had accepted the Lord when we went over. She and her husband. The son would not. And um, so we, you know, told her, read out of James about healing. We anointed, we prayed for her. And then they patched her, you know, the doctor had put a gauze and stuff on it and patched her up. And so I walked out with a couple of others and we watched as she went over the little dirt road down over the hill. She had come two kilometers, I think, they had brought her because they heard there were doctors there in a medical clinic. And um, that was a bad day, because we all kind of felt like, you know, you done all this to try to help people. Now, she did find the Lord. It's wonderful to think she found the Lord, but they were all sad, because these were medical people and couldn't help her. So two months later, we were up at the church for, uh, uh, I think I was dedicating a baby. Every time there's a baby dedication or baptism, got to have a missionary there. So we were up there for that, and uh, we were sitting on the front row, and... Uh, they were singing we were standing I guess singing and out of the corner of my eye I see this little figure coming up the aisle doing this and I looked over at her and you know those tingles you get like you just got right now you know the the little tingly thing that God does to you sometimes and I'm going like I said Karen he just did it again I said Karen um, I think that's her and I said, they can't be her. You know how we do, oh, God, heal. And then when it happens, he goes like, well, that can't have happened. <laughs> you laughed too much back there. Okay. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> it's gone. So anyway, um, she said, John, it's her. And so we went over, and there was her and her husband. And you can go, I mean, her husband, she kind of blends in. And, but her husband, he's got these big buck teeth, and he's a lot older than she is, looks like. Anyway, he's, he's like, it's like Mott, Mutt and Jeff. He's real tall and skinny, and she's short and kind of heavy. And, um, but anyway, they're just grinning real big, and so she hugs us, and I'm going like, yeah, it's her, and she's walking, you know. And how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. And so she goes out like that, and so we write Rhonda and, and uh, Adam and told her, to send pictures and told him to tell Doc Jeff. She was healed. Well, our last Sunday in Ecuador, which as missionaries, back the last of March, we were at that church, and service was over, and they always have uh, they have a soccer field next door that actually the church owns, and they built this little soccer field so that people would come and play soccer, and then they can witness to them. So we were watching them get ready to play soccer and standing out there eating our little whatever they call that hard donut that's really good um, and, uh, I know, can't you tell? Um, somebody came and slipped their arm through my hand, my, I mean, put their hand through my arm, and it was her, Maria. And, uh, she said in broken Spanish, because she just speaks mostly Quechua, we will miss you. We will miss you so much. And, uh, I told her, I said, Maria, you know, we, we miss you too and love you. And we hugged, hugged her and her husband. You know, the son still hasn't gotten saved. He has seen his mother healed and he won't become a Christian. And I know what Jesus said. He says, you know, they won't even believe if they see somebody raised from the dead. She was raised from the dead. And um, so we said goodbye and they started walking off together. Not in the wheelbarrow. Walking, and then it hit me as they're walking, the limp is gone now. The limp is gone. And uh, a few years ago, Doc Chapman was back, and we were going up there. Of course, almost the same team came back because everybody wanted to go up and they wanted to see her. Finally, she came in one day, and we—I took her straight in. I saw her didn't. She didn't wait in line. She's a VIP. We took her right (laughs) through, you know straight into Doc Jeff and sat her down, and he's examiner. her. We're all gathered around, and so he, he's, he's on his knees in front of her, and he pats her. She's got these long skirts on. He pats her knees like this with both hands, and he says, sorry, I went down, but I'm, I'm back up. I said, I uh, said, how's your leg? And she goes, it hurts. And he goes, oh, it does. And she goes, yeah, it hurts. And so he, he lifts her skirt up a little bit, and she goes, oh, not that leg, this one. She said, that leg is fine. So Doc Jeff is now sobbing in the middle of this, you know, and she's looking like, what's wrong? You know, but you were healed, you know, and all this happened, but yeah, but that's God, isn't it? You know, kind of a thing. So, we saw firsthand somebody that wouldn't have been to church any other reason. She'd been invited and stuff like that, but they were scared of evangelical churches. And what brought her there was the, was the promise of some medicine to maybe help. And she came for that, and she left with Jesus and a whole leg, you know. And, um, and the church has grown, some of it because of her testimony, because she doesn't say much, but all she does is walk through the town. And everybody knows that's the place you go if you want to be healed. And so... Um, That's what we're going to be doing. Last picture is this. This was years ago, one of the clinics. That was a lady in our Zabala church. That's Danny's home congregation. And she was doing the clinic of the soul. And that young boy came in on drugs, just terrible mess, belligerent, and nobody really wanted to deal with him. And Inez, she's got that camouflage on. I don't know why. They think if you wear camouflage, you're in the war with Jesus. And so they're, they're, like, they're like the gorillas for Jesus kind of a thing. And, um, and Inez goes over, and I'm going, like, Inez wasn't that old of a Christian, and how can she handle that? And boy, within 15 or 20 minutes, that boy just broke down. And um, he's accepting the Lord, you know, at that. So anyway, that's what we're doing. Um, that's the way they work. Um, also, the office is down in Franklin. Anytime you're down that way, it's the second Franklin exit off of 75. And you go to the second stoplight, and you turn right, and it's up at the top of the hill, carrying, par- it's in a, it's in a, a, warehouse, what do they call those things? a, not an office park, it's a industrial park. That's it, I can't speak English. Um, <laughs> and, um, so anyway, um, And if you have a food pantry, because they get a lot of stuff from Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati and a lot of different things, and so they supply you food pantries with soaps and stuff like that. Um, You call them toothpaste, you can call them and go down when they have days that the food pantries can come and they will just load you up with stuff. Um, When they would come to Ecuador, they would bring between $100,000 and $300,000 worth of medicine that's given out free, that's all donated by medical places around the world. If you're a doctor, if you're a nurse, if you know a doctor a nurse, a paramedic, eye doctor, a chiropractor, um, physical therapists are really needed on those trips. Uh, Or if you you would like to go on one, they also need people to do extra things. And so there's always a few positions open that way. But anyway, that's what we'll be doing. And uh, we are scared to death. Because we'll be leaving global missions at the end of this month, and we're supposed to start with them on July 1st. We none of our support or anything transfers. We everybody that's a, with the organization raises their own support apart, so that everything that comes in goes to, you know, the ministry and stuff, and not just those of us that are working in the ministry. But anyway, that's what God is doing with us. And I end with this: When Philip got called, he didn't know what was waiting on that desert road and he probably never knew as long as he lived the impact that that trip would make to the country of Ethiopia but he went and he was faithful this is what God has called us to do but my question is what is he calling you to do and you go like yeah but it'll never be nothing like that if he calls you to sing in the youth choir And you don't. Then you will never know this. If you aren't faithful in the little things. If you can't be faithful in those simple things. He will never entrust you. With the great blessings. But I will tell you this. we say in Spanish all the time. Vale la pena. It is worth the pain. It is worth all the uncertainty. It is worth everything you go through. To have those times with Jesus. Because I have known him in a way that I know I never would have known him had I not said yes and walked with him. So wherever you are, even if it's beginning, if you don't know Jesus today, today's the day. Now's the time. Start saying yes to him and don't put conditions on it. Go where he asks you to go. Do what he tells you to do. Be what he's called you to be. And you'll be happier than you ever thought possible. Okay? Amen. Amen. That's it for today. Come here, pregnant lady. It's all yours. (laughs)